chapter 8, and it is a great day, or a great way to spend the Lord's day in Romans chapter 8. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do come to this wonderful portion of your word, and we ask that you would bless us, that whatever our needs are this morning, that you would meet them by your word and spirit, that you would encourage us greatly, that you would give us courage to live in this world that is so contrary to the things of Christ, and often we must lament that our own hearts are even contrary at times. And so we would ask for your strengthening, for your empowering, and that you would bless us greatly in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you know anything about southern Alberta, you know that they have something there called Chinooks. A Chinook is where uh, the westerly warm winds make their way over the Rocky Mountains, spread out into southern Alberta and push away all that cold air. And so I was thinking about that last night and I was wondering, you know, what is the coldest Chinook or the, the biggest swing in temperature with the Chinook that has occurred in Alberta? And so I looked it up and Pincher Creek, Alberta in 1962 had this, get this, from a temperature of minus 19, minus 19 to plus 22, from minus 19 to plus 22. But guess how long that took? One hour. One hour from minus 19 to plus 22. That is amazing. That's incredible. And it, it's something like uh, maybe you've experienced if you've ever gone somewhere sunny from Vancouver in the winter and, it's, and maybe it's uh, dreary out, maybe it's snowing, maybe it's raining, whatever it is. It's three degrees, pelting rain. You get on the airplane, you get off in somewhere like Mexico, Hawaii, Brazil, wherever it is that you go for warmth and sunshine in the winter and the warm air hits you and it just feels so good. And that's kind of what is happening here when we flip from Romans chapter 7 and see all the misery of the Apostle Paul, and then we flip to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 where he begins to preach the gospel to himself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's an incredible statement that he makes there. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We look at the laments from back at at uh, chapter 7 and 24 and 25, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I hope at some point in your life you've asked yourself that question, that you've been in that situation of sin and in misery and darkness, despair, knowing your own depravity, and you've cried out to the Lord, who will deliver me? And then the answer the Apostle Paul quickly turns to is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you've made that same transition to Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we see this darkness happening, the human depravity happening, unfolding in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. But then it's all sunshine in Romans chapter 8. And so I hope that as you may have known some of the uh, misery of chapter 7 in your life, that you too will know some of the blessings of Romans chapter 8 in your life and begin to cultivate that work of the Spirit that has begun in your heart. Now we know that our spiritual lives, it's a battle, and it's an ongoing battle that we face every single day to live a godly life and to pursue Christ with all of our might. And so you might wonder about this no condemnation status. You know, we look at that and we see that that Christ Jesus has wiped the slate entirely clean. All of our sins are gone. They've all been dealt with in Christ. 
God didn't just wink at them, He judged them, but He judged them in Christ and not in you. So there is now no condemnation. Notice the tense of that. There is now no condemnation. It's something that has happened. God has justified you. And then He begins to sanctify you, make you more and more Christ-like as time goes on. And we can sometimes get stuck looking at ourselves and the struggle that we're in, in Romans chapter 7. And we see all the eyes and all the means that the apostle is using there and lose sight and lose focus of what Christ has done. And largely that's due to the fact that we still sin. We still sin. And what do we do with that? How do we, how do we persevere in the midst of that? How do we not get stuck in that? One of the great truths is that we will not be judged eternally. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there could be chastisement. There could be discipline in our lives. But we will not be eternally condemned for those things. We will not be judged in that severe a sense, sense, though we could be judged severely in this life. Now that does not mean that we can do whatever we want. It does not mean that we can sin that grace may abound. It means that we are finally able to do not what we want, but what Christ wants. We finally are empowered by the Spirit to be able to live a Christ-pleasing life, which before we could never do outside of Christ. We couldn't live a life pleasing to God. All we could do was sin. We were, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But now we have new life in Christ. And so we've been saved not to walk as the world, but to walk in the world as becomes a follower of Christ. And Romans chapter 8 tells us how. How we do that. How God has worked and how He enables us to be able to walk in this world. And so there is no condemnation. But that doesn't mean that there's not failure. We still sin. We fall, we sin, we have consequences, but no condemnation, no divine judgment. Your sin has been judged in Jesus Christ. And one of the great passages to underscore this reality is found in John chapter 5. In verse 24, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Notice the tense again. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Have you heard the words of Jesus and believed? Then there is no condemnation. No condemnation. And the text goes on to say that he does not come, come into judgment. That's the person who believes. But has passed from death to life. And again, notice the tense. Has passed from death to life. It's a present reality that God gives us when he justifies us. If we are believing, if we are trusting in Christ alone for salvation... There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's quite a statement. And he reminds himself of who he is in light of the gospel, again, after reminding himself of what a wretch he is in and of himself. And it's interesting to this point in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit has only been mentioned twice, but then in this chapter, in the first 27 verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. And the Apostle Paul is trying to get something through to us of crucial importance. How do we share in what Christ has purchased for us? When we receive Christ, we receive the Spirit of Christ. And so John Calvin says that the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. 
So union with Christ means union to Christ by the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us and then gives us the freedom, the ability to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Before we could not do that. How does this happen? Well, the Holy Spirit liberates us, gives us freedom to do that. And we see this beginning in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And here the word law carries with it the idea of a principle. You were under the old principle before in your old life. But now there is a new principle at work within your heart, within your life. This new principle of life transcends the old life. The old life is done away with. Before we could only sin, now we have the ability to obey. In verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I just want to summarize this because it can get a little bit confusing as we look at the grace and the Spirit and the flesh and all these different things kind of intermingling and trying to keep these categories in mind. So I just want to summarize it. So Paul begins here by saying that we are no longer under condemnation for our sin. And then he says that we are free because the Holy Spirit has applied that perfect work of Jesus Christ where he fulfilled the law perfectly where we failed he fulfilled it perfectly he applies Christ's righteousness to us so the law could not save us because of the weakness of our flesh not because of the weakness of the law we saw that in chapter 7 but Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh in the likeness he was not sinful in his flesh but came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So the law held up that perfect standard and Christ fulfilled it perfectly to a T for us. So the law's perfect standard was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in Jesus, not in us. And Christ became that sin offering for us on our behalf. And as a result, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now that simply means that he conquered sin. He had victory over sin. And so that's not all. In verses 2 through 4, it tells us how the Holy Spirit gives us that freedom. But in verses 5 through 17, he tells us what the Spirit gives us, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us in keeping with the salvation that we have. And we see, first of all, a new mindset, the renewing of our minds. And we see that in verse 5 through 8. The Holy Spirit gives us a new outlook in life, a new way to view things. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God." And so the mindset of the flesh has distinct characteristics to it. There's death, there's hostility toward God, an inability to be subject to God, an inability to obey God. And these govern that orientation of a fleshly life, these different principles. But what Paul is saying here is very important 
when we think about our mindset and how we view things in our daily living. The orientation of our mind has a lot to say about how we live, what we put into our mind, what we feed our heads is going to work out in our hands. What we think with our thoughts is going to work its way out into our behavior. And so we renew our minds in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new heart. And a new heart then shapes the mind. And the mind then shapes our behavior. It has to begin in the heart. Otherwise, we're dealing with moralism. If it's just about the outward behavior and not about the heart, we just have a moral attitude towards things. So we are called to a new life, a new life in Christ and a new way to be obedient because we've been given new hearts through the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives the believer this new mindset and brings new life to us. And so that's what we see unfolding in verses 9 through 11, this new sense of life, new life and a new heart. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. New life, a new heart, and a new power to live a life pleasing to the Lord. The Spirit of Christ alive within us. Verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have a new nature. Before we just had that old sinful nature. And then when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are given that new nature. And we walk in newness of life. We live and we think differently. We want to please and we want to serve God. We want to be obedient to God. And you remember what that was like when you first became a believer? Before, perhaps, you had no desire to go to church, no desire to read God's Word, no desire to be obedient in following God. But then, through that renewing work of the Spirit within you, you have a new desire for spiritual things. You want to go to church and be with God's people. You want to read the Word of God and feast and feed on those things. And so we see that this no-condemnation leads to the Spirit's invigoration, which leads to a life of transformation. This transforming work within our hearts through the power of the Spirit working within us. This ability to walk in newness of life. And then the third thing that we see here is a new obligation in verses 12 and 13. Obligation, one of gratitude to the Lord for what He has done. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul realized that though we all have the privilege of victorious Christian living in this life, in the here and now, through the Holy Spirit, we often don't want to automatically follow what the Lord wants us to do. So therefore, he exhorts us to live by the Spirit not by the flesh, by the Spirit. Day by day, we ought to constantly be submitting to the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's why Paul constantly encourages us to put to death the deeds of the body, to mortify those sins of the flesh. That's an old Puritan term, to mortify the sins of the flesh. 
mortify, to kill. Don't play with them. Don't cherish them. Don't have pet sins. Kill them. Be ruthless with them. Every day that old nature calls out to us, doesn't it? We, we walk in this life with that old man on our back, dra- dragging that old carcass through, and he's constantly beckoning us to go back, to turn back, to pick up those old sins. And Paul says to live by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And that can be very difficult. I've said before that Jerry Bridges uses the analogy of the Christian life and he says that the Christian life is like running a marathon. But not only that, he adds to it, he says, running a marathon with hurdles. That is often what the Christian life seems like or riding a bicycle uphill and you're grinding and you keep going and you keep going and what happens if you stop? You're going to fall over or you fall back. So we constantly are to keep going and it can be tremendously difficult for us to do that. And so Paul encourages us in these different ways to have this new mindset, to have this new obligation. And he reminds us also that we have a new identity. And he does that in verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Sons and daughters of God. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about, that we've been adopted into God's family? I grew up without a father. And I can remember in my late teens when I became a believer that that this one dear elderly uh, saint uh, that I was talking to, she said, well, you may not have an earthly father, you have a spiritual father. And I'd never even thought about it in those terms before, being adopted into God's family. And it's a, it's a great, amazing privilege that we have. And we see that this is an, an important New Testament concept, adoption. Adopted as God's children into his family. And God does this. And in the Roman world, Adoption was something that was also very important and, and you were no longer identified with the old family. You were now identified with a new family and that also included all of your debts. If you had any debts as part of that old family, you lost them all. And you could think of that in relation to our sin debt to God. How that is just completely paid when we are adopted into God's family. All of them taken by Christ. And in the Roman household, you had all of the rights and the privileges as if you were naturally born into that family, including a piece of the estate. You were co-heirs with all of the other children that might be associated with that family. We see that in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. One commentator I read this week said, everything Jesus receives by divine right is ours by divine grace. I love that statement. Everything Jesus receives by divine right as the Son of God is ours by divine grace. Being adopted as the children of God. That's an amazing concept to think about. And no wonder Paul goes on here to cry out, Abba, Father. It's a term of great endearment and tenderness. In the Jewish world, God was very remote and distant. 
But not so for us. He is a God who is brought near. And so we see that term of tenderness, this Abba Father. It's personal. God is imminent. He's not only transcendent and holy, He is also imminent and with us and goes with us through this world, through His Spirit. So God offers this kind of intimacy to everyone who will come to Him. And so Paul began by saying that we are no longer under the penalty of sin. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer have that status of being judged by God in that way. There is a no condemnation status upon us. And then he tells us this role that the Holy Spirit takes within the life of the believer. How we have this new mindset set and a new life and a new identity and a new obligation and a new family. All of these different things at work for our benefit to enable us to walk in power and in in newness of life, to be able to reject sin and finally live a Christ-pleasing life. And that is the spirit of life. It enables us to wage war against sin in this world and to kill them. Now, I don't know what you're struggling with today in terms of sin, but you have the power in you through the Holy Spirit to wage war against those sins and to kill them. How does that happen? How can we do that? Well, again, we are in a process of sanctification. It's a process of holiness where we become more and more Christ-like over time. And that can look like this as we walk in this world, but we can be sure that God desires not only for us to be happy, but He desires for us to be holy. And when we are truly holy, then we'll be happy. God wants us to be happy, but He wants us to be happy His way. And we do that by being holy. John Stott said that God condemns sin in Christ so that holiness might appear in us. We are to live a life of holiness. It is a high calling that we are to live to. Holiness means that we strive to live up to God's demands in His Word. Not in a meritorious way where we are then accepted by God, not to earn His merit and favor, but again, out of that life of obligation and thankfulness to Him. And it means that we follow and obey the Lord Jesus Christ and what He asks of us to do. How do we do that? How do we walk as becomes the follower of Christ? If you are a member here, you've taken a vow to do that. Do you remember that? That you covenanted before the church to walk as becomes a follower of Christ. That can be a challenge because, again, we are carrying along that carcass on our backs. And so maybe it means that we have to go to people and ask for forgiveness. We consistently have to go to God and ask for His, His uh, forgiveness for sins, of course. But we are dragging around this body of death, as Paul calls it. The old man that's constantly calling us back to our old ways of life, to those old sins, to those old habits. How do we break free and walk in the Spirit. Well, there's an old man who was mentoring a younger man, and the old man said to the younger man, when they were talking about this war within, talking about the spirit and the flesh, and these things that are taking place, these struggles that we all have, and the old man said to the younger man, I have two dogs in me, a big old mean dog and a smaller dog, and they're constantly fighting. And so the younger man said, well, which one wins? And the older man replied, whichever one I feed. 
whichever one I feed. Makes a lot of sense in the things that we are considering, doesn't it? In the life of the flesh, in the life of the spirit. And by the little dog, he meant his spiritual life. And by the big old mean dog, that was his sinful flesh. Satan is a hard taskmaster. If you are stuck in sin, it is not a good place to be in. And Christ has died to liberate us from those things. And the point is that if you feed the spirit, then essentially you will be starving the flesh. And if you're feeding the flesh, you're going to be starving the spirit. If you're feeding the spirit, you'll find more spiritual dominance than fleshly dominance in your life. And then conversely, the opposite is true. Our spiritual lives are like planting a garden. And Tammy has done an amazing job in our garden at our place with the vegetables and with flowers and different things happening there. And I don't want your mind to get carried away with this huge acreage of of lush fruit and vegetables and and flowers. That is not the case at our house. We live in a townhouse. But nonetheless, whether you have a very small garden or a very large garden, it is a lot of work to tend to a garden. You don't just walk away from it and all these things happen. And that is the same with our spiritual lives. When we think of cultivating the fruit of the Spirit and, and being quickened by the Spirit and and alive to the Spirit, and allowing these things to grow and to flourish, the flesh is going to crowd those things out. And so we have to be ruthless in dealing with those things, and pulling those weeds, and pruning, and doing all these different things. We have to starve the flesh. Our sin nature grows naturally. You can just walk away from from tending to your spiritual life, and what's going to happen? All of these weeds are going to manifest themselves and choke out all of that fruit that could be growing there. And so if you are struggling with areas of your old nature, you can't just say, well, I'm going to cut back on this particular sin. can't do that. You will never win the war against the flesh if you do that. You have to be ruthless in those sins. You have to bar the doors, shut all the windows... And you have to be ruthless with those things. You have to starve that. And how do we do that? How do we allow our spiritual lives to grow? Well, there's no great mystery in it, but it is supernatural. It's the means of grace. The Word, the Spirit, coming to worship, being involved in a home group Bible study, taking the Lord's Supper, being spiritually nourished in that way. God nourishes us by the Word and by the Spirit in these different ways. Using our gifts, serving other people, not getting stuck in Romans 7 with the eyes and the knees, but remembering who you are in Christ and then living a life of service in that way. That's how we have victory. That's how we starve that old mean dog. Is by putting off and putting on. Putting off those old things and putting on a new way of life, and all these different things that we've seen here this morning. Just in closing, you can be greatly encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 when he is confronted by Satan and he's tempted there. And how does he respond? He responds with the word, you know, the means of grace. He quotes scripture. And so in verse 8 of of Matthew chapter 4, it says this, again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Satan does that with us too. He shows us 
all of those things of this world that glisten so brightly for us and become so, so enticing for us, that entrap us and ensnare us. In verse 9, And he said to him, All these things I will give you, and you will, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The means of grace. Jesus fed himself with the means of grace. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a principle that we see enacted here by Jesus, that we see in 1 Peter. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I don't know exactly where you are at in your spiritual life here this morning. But I do know this. If you are feeding the flesh, then you will be caught in that body of death. If you are feeding the Spirit, then there will be life and there will be peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you that you give your Holy Spirit that strives with us. And we pray and ask, oh God, for each one of us, for everyone who knows you here this morning, we pray and ask that you would quicken your Spirit within us. And we ask that you would help us to put away those deeds of the flesh and that you would give us new life, that you'd give us an invigoration of your spirit in such a way that we would walk in that transformation that you have purchased for us. So we ask, O God, that you would bless us, that you would bless us in such ways that we would walk in obedience, that we would walk in ways that please you, that we would walk in this newness of life, and that you would use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We will now take up our tithes and our offerings.